0: name amen you may be seated and I invite you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 to 14 so Ephesians 5 verses 8 to 14 and we're making our way through Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesians and 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 we saw in the uh, the first three chapters that Paul was laying out this wonderful doctrine and theology, magnificent doctrine and theology about all that God has done for us and in us to save us and what he's doing in us now to preserve us and all that he promises to, to do in us in the future. And then as we turn the page to the second half of the book of Ephesians, we entered into chapters four and five, we see that Paul now has been and is calling us To live in light of all that is true about us because of Christ in chapters 1, 2, and 3. That we've seen that Paul has been and is calling you, calling me, calling everyone who professes faith in Christ to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. To pursue spiritual growth and maturity. To no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness, by deceitful schemes. To remember who we, who we were and realize that's not who we are now, that, that we're no longer to walk as the Gentiles do, to no longer walk as, as we once did in the futility of our minds, that he has been and is calling us to, to put off the old self and to put on the new self, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He's calling us to be imitators of God as beloved children of God and to walk in love and, and to walk in purity, to walk in sexual purity and to walk in purity of speech as we've looked at in the last couple of weeks, but also to, to walk as children of light. You see, and this is not a call for us to, to try really, really hard to be something or someone we're not. It's not a call for us to to get serious about our lives and our spiritual lives and, 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 and our dedication to being better and become something that we're not. Rather, it's a call for us to be who we are now in Christ. It's a call that says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. That you were darkness, now you're light, so walk as children of light. Be who you are. So this is the message we've been hearing from Paul. This is the message we will continue to hear in our passage today. And so here now, God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. I'll begin reading in Ephesians 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. and arise from the dead and christ will shine on you this is the word of the lord and it's absolutely true and it's given to us in love for our good and we're going to look at this passage under four headings we're going to see walking as light bearing fruit discerning god's will and exposing darkness so walking as light bearing fruit discerning god's will and exposing darkness. And so first, walking as light, and we see in verse 8, which is a verse that we touched on at the end of, of last Sunday's sermon, but verse 8 says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He says at one time you were darkness. He doesn't say that we, at one time, you merely lived in darkness. He doesn't say at one time that, that we we did a lot of dark deeds a lot of bad deeds that we were in darkness no he says we were darkness okay so do you understand what this means that if you're in this sanctuary this morning and if you're a christian today paul is reminding you he's reminding us of who we once were that we were darkness not that we merely lived in darkness not that darkness was all around us but that that we were darkness I mean, th- do you remember w- what Paul said at the beginning of Ephesians 2? He taught us something very similar. He used a different image in Ephesians 2 verse 1, "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, and once you once walked, following the course of this world." He says, "We were once spiritually dead, not, not merely sick, not merely wounded, not merely weak. Not even on on our deathbed or on life support, but that we were spiritually dead, spiritually lifeless, in need of resurrection. And praise God, that's what came for those of us who were in Christ. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Say, so before God saved us by grace in Christ, our great problem was not that we were merely in darkness. Our great problem was not that we were spiritually sick. Our great problem was not that the circumstances around us, our great problem was, that, was not that we didn't have enough knowledge It wasn't that we merely had bad relationships or poor peer influences. Our great problem is that we were darkness, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Our great problem was our moral bondage and spiritual spiritual corruption due to our indwelling sin. We were spiritually dead. But then came the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, and praise God, God being rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. Now, with that in mind, look back at our text. Look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, I I love this, this quote. It's a long quote, but I love it from Sinclair Ferguson. He says, we not only lived in darkness, we were darkness. The darkness was within and was therefore inescapably part of our being. We lived in it. It lived in us. We could not see in or beyond the darkness until the light of the glory of God in Christ shone into our hearts. To be in the Lord is to belong to a new world, to inhabit a new kingdom in which we become new men and new women. In this new kingdom, new powers are at work in us, the powers of the Spirit of the crucified, risen, ascended, reigning, and returning Christ. Once we were in the darkness worse the darkness was in us we were darkness now we have been drawn into the light illuminated by christ the light of the world more we have been invaded and transformed by christ the light in the lord we are light we are light in christ we must learn to walk as children of light you see it's a call to to be who you are to realize who you were Don't forget that, but but to also not forget that's not who you are now. And praise God that's the case, that we have been saved by God's grace in Christ. And we're new creations. It's a new birth. We have new hearts, as Patrick reminded us in the assurance of pardon from Ezekiel. See, this is not a call to, to try really, really hard to become something that you aren't Paul's not calling you to to work really hard and try to turn over a new leaf. He's not calling you to work really hard and for you to try to become someone new. Rather, it's a call to realize that Christ has already made you new. It's a call to realize who we are now in Christ. That we were dead. We've been raised to newness of life. That we were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And so Paul says, be who you are live walk as children of light we have a new status a new identity as god's new people therefore we must live new lives new lifestyles new priorities new loves new standards of conduct new ways of thinking about all the areas of our lives new ways of living in all the various areas of our lives so you know what does this practically mean what are we supposed to be doing as children of light That's a good question. I'm so glad you asked that question. And and the Apostle Paul anticipated you asking that question because he goes on to answer it with the rest of our passage. And what he says is our second heading is that Christians who are walking as children of light are to first be bearing fruit. Look at verses eight and nine together. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, verse nine. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So he describes the fruit of walking as children of light as being all that is good, right, and true. So good, right, and true. You should think about those words. And and it's possible that if you've spent any amount of time trying to memorize the the Westminster Shorter Catechism or catechize your children with it, um, that, that maybe those words sound familiar to you. Because anyone who's started to memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism realizes, you know what, question one, two, and three, those guys go by pretty quickly, pretty easy. Then you get to question four, and it's a great question. What is God? But then the answer is harder to memorize because you have a long list of things. Here's what the answer is. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. And then those three words, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, apply to everything else that comes after the God is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being and in his wisdom and his power and his holiness and in his justice and his goodness and his truth. He's infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his justice or righteousness and in his goodness and in his truth. And so do those last three words of that answer sound familiar? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Now, so so you know, think back to how Paul began Ephesians chapter 5 with verse 1. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. He says, he, he does, he says because God has already adopted you into his family, because of, through, because of Christ's work, his life, death, resurrection, that you have been, you have been made children of God, be imitators of God. You know, bear the family resemblance. Paul doesn't say, you know, if you, if you work really hard at, at pursuing, you know, all that is good, right, and true, then maybe, just maybe, you can one day become children of God if you, if you prove that you're worthy. No, no, because you already are beloved children of God, be who you are, bear the family resemblance, and imitate our heavenly Father And notice, our Heavenly Father is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in His justice, His righteousness, in His goodness, in His truth. So what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 9 is that the fruit of our lives as beloved children of God, as those who are children of light, who are walking as light, is found in all that is good and right or just and true. So let's think about those things. First, all that is good. You know, God is good. God is good and he's generous. He's good and he's generous in giving and in blessing us with good things. In James chapter 1 verse 5 we read, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. See, if only we believe that, that God was that generous, and he was that good, and he was that benevolent toward us, his children. Gosh, I mean, do you know this is who your God is? I mean, imagine, how how would it change our prayer life? How would it deepen our prayer life? How would it change the things that we pray for, that we ask God for? We really began to believe that he was good and generous and benevolent toward us, his children. In James 1, verse 17, we read Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and every perfect gift is from our good and generous God. Okay, so look back at, at Ephesians 5, verses 8 and 9. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good. So Paul's telling us about this fruit because he's calling us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, not calling us to, to strive in some legalistic way to earn God's love and favor, but to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling we've already received, already been secured. And so I believe now in verses five, at, at verses 8 and 9, he's, he's calling us to be honest about how we're doing, to look at our lives, and so is your life marked by a spirit of generosity towards others? Are you someone who, who realizes just how, how richly you have been blessed by your good and generous God that it leads to you being generous and giving and blessing others? For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right. All that is right. You see, God is faithful faithful. And righteous always and in all things. He's faithful and righteous in keeping all of his promises, fulfilling all of his obligations to his people. So the fruit of walking as children of light is that we will be faithful and ever growing more faithful and more righteous in keeping all of our promises, fulfilling all of our obligations. That it will begin to matter to us that we that we never ever over-promise and then underdeliver. That we do what we say we will do. So how are you doing in this? Is your life marked by faithful and right or righteous dealings with others? Or are you faithful to keep your word to others? Ephesians 5, 8, 9. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. All that is true. Our Heavenly Father is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in His truth. The fruit of walking as children of light is that we will walk in truth, in our actions and in our speech. We'll have integrity. We'll be honest in all things. You know, there'll be no hypocrisy, intentional hypocrisy in us that we will do our very best for our inside to match our outside. And so please hear me on this. Paul's not calling us to try really, really hard to be something we aren't. He's calling us to be who we are now in Christ. That at one time we were darkness, but that's not who we are now. We've been saved by God's grace in Christ. We are light in the Lord. And so, as Paul says, walk as children of light. See, no one's talking about perfectionism, no one's talking about legalism. Paul is simply calling us to look into the mirror of God's word and then be honest about what we see. You know, where. Where do we see that we need to confess sin and affirm God's grace for us, grace secured by Christ? Where do we need to make changes in how we treat others? And where do we see real Holy Spirit growth? I mean, where are we encouraged by what we see and how we look back at six months ago or a year ago or years ago and see how God's... How God, by his grace, has grown us and matured us in Christ. So Paul says, walk as light. Okay, but what does that look like? Well, it looks like bearing fruit. Well, what is that fruit? Well, it's all that's good, right, and true. But the next thing that Paul says about what it means to walk as children of light, it means to discern God's will. That's the third heading, discerning God's will. Look at verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, the Greek word translated to discern literally means to examine and to test. It's, it's a word that was used to describe a person um, examining, looking closely at precious metals in order to, to identify and to detect any impurities and then to prove the genuineness or the value of this precious metal. Okay, so looking at verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You know, Simply put, Christians who are, who are sincere about walking as children of light Will ask themselves, before I make this choice, before I decide A or B, would Jesus approve of this? You know, before I agree to do this, will this bring glory to God? Not, okay, do I wanna do this, but would God want me to do this? Is this pleasing to the Lord? You know, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, well, well how do we do this? Well, we do it by, with the Spirit's help, and we do this as we learn what the Bible says. So let's look at those two in turn. First, there's the Spirit, and praise God that, that we have the Spirit dwelling within us if we are in Christ. I mean, remember what Paul's been saying to us earlier in Ephesians. In particular, the prayers that he's prayed for us in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. See, in Ephesians 1, verses 16 to 18, Paul says, "...I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you." What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That we have the wisdom of the revelation of the knowledge of him. And then in Ephesians 3, towards the end of that chapter, in verses 14 to 19, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, there's this prayer that we be strengthened with power through his Spirit in our inner being, we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, a Christian walking as light will live a a spirit-involved, spirit-dependent, spirit-enabled life as, as we try to discern what is pleasing to the lord and i don't want to minimize the spirit's work in our lives but i also want to say this it's not as if okay we have the spirit and that's all we have and that's all we need and now we're left to discern you know what the various you know quivers in our livers mean And is the Spirit telling us the Lord is pleased with this or or pleased with that? You see, friends, that's not the way to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The Christian life is the Spirit-dependent and Spirit-enabled life, but God, thankfully, graciously, has revealed what is pleasing to Him in His Word. So we have the Scriptures. And so as R.C. Sproul put it, there's no way of learning more accurately or more quickly about what is pleasing to God than studying the Word of God. It reveals to us what, thing God, what things God takes delight in and what things God hates. Or as Sinclair Ferguson put it, the life of discernment is therefore a word-focused and word-directed life which develops a word-saturated mind. Okay, so putting this all together, the life of discernment, for the Christian, walking as children of the light is a spirit-involved, spirit-dependent, spirit-enabled life, and it's necessarily a word-focused, word-directed, word-saturated life. As Paul writes in Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, well, well, how does this transformation by the renewal of our minds so that we may discern what is the will of God, how does it happen? Okay, that's a good question. I'm so glad you asked. And I've I've, I've got good news for you, and I've got challenging news for you. So let me give you the good news first. The good news is that this happens as we are dependent on the Holy Spirit and as we read and study and learn our Bibles. So the good news is it's, it's available for each and every one of us. Each and every follower of Christ. The challenging news is that there are no shortcuts. You know, there are no shortcuts to developing a a word focused, word directed, word saturated mind and life other than saturating your mind and your life in the Word. That we must dedicate ourselves to the Word day by day, week by week, Sunday by Sunday over the course of our lives. A long obedience in the same direction of praying for the Holy Spirit's help as we read God's word, study it, discuss it, hear it preached, as we pray it, as we hide it in our hearts, as we memorize it, as we, as we seek to obey it, as we walk as children of light. You see, whenever we read Ephesians 5.10 and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, there are no secrets. There's no silver bullets. There's no shortcuts but you really can do it. You just have to to do it. You have to love and learn and read and seek to understand and seek to apply and to obey God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God, And my guess is nearly every person in this sanctuary believes that. And he goes on, And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And I think most of us believe that too. But then verse 17, That the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. I think if we're honest, we doubt that. See, because if we believe that the word of God is actually able to completely equip us for every good work, then we would, we would be running to the Bible for it to, to teach us and reprove us and correct us and train us in righteousness. You see, that word that's translated training is used elsewhere to refer to uh, training a child, raising a child, rearing a child. And therefore, it implies that it's an ongoing process right and many you know, those of us who are parents and grandparents we know this right that you know that it's it's it would be wonderful and it'd be very different if, if if you only had to teach your child how to do something one time right you told them one time then that was done okay this is you know this is how you how you use the potty now that's done this is how you brush your teeth now you never have to remind we do, we do this every night before we go to bed we do this as soon as we wake up oh, okay it's, it's done never have to do it ever again this is how we floss you know, this is how you take out your contacts and we never had to worry about it ever again right? I mean, that's, that would be wonderful, right? but that's not how it works, that the training and the rearing of a child, it, it, it's lifelong. So I've been told, that's what it seems like. So I know it lasts at least 16 years, okay, at least at this point. But the Bible is sufficient to train us in righteousness, and here's my point, but it does not equip us for every good work simply because we own one. You see, the Bible, it also doesn't equip us for every good work simply because we've read through it once. It doesn't necessarily equip us if we've read through it a couple of times. And then it's on our shelf. You see, there's a reason why the Bible's not arranged by topic. That it's, it's not really meant to be only used as a reference book. One where every time you, okay, I've got a big decision to make. I've got, I need to think about what the Bible says about this topic. Let me go find my Bible. Okay, here it is. All right, where's the chapter? It talks about marriage or it talks about raising children or it talks about finances or it talks about work. And let me find what it says. Oh, okay. And then you put it back up. Now, that's not bad. Okay, do that. Okay, take your Bible. Look up the topics. Use the Bible any way you'll use the Bible. But my point is that, that the Bible is meant... To saturate our whole lives the bible is not meant to just be pulled off the shelf on occasion it's not meant to be to be read once and then moved on from the bible is meant to to, to to saturate and keep saturating every area of our lives you see the bible doesn't equip us for every good work because we know the high points and we know the general storyline a christian's training in righteousness in god's word never ends once it begins Or as Charles Spurgeon put it, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. You see, and the goal is a spirit-involved, spirit-dependent, spirit-enabled life in a word-focused, word-directed life and a word-saturated life. And so an illustration to think about this might be to, to think about how a person becomes a great musician. Now, I'm not a great musician, but there was a time when I, when I did play an instrument, and I, I'm not going to tell you what that was, but, um, but I wasn't very good at it, and I realized quickly that I wasn't very good at it because I, I wasn't willing to practice at it and practice at it and practice at it. Because you guys know that's what great music, musicians do, and at some point, the instrument and the music sort of becomes part of them, and playing becomes second nature if they put in the time and they practice and they practice and they practice it's the same way with sports i mean i i watch a lot of kids sports these days i've been watching a lot for years i've been coaching a lot for years and and i've seen many teams with with far less athletic talent just wipe the floor with teams with much more athletic talent and that's happened often because the less talented athletes had devoted themselves to the sport to learning the game And the result is that they instinctively knew how to move on the court, where to be on the field. They knew how to anticipate what was going to happen next and where the ball was going to go. And the game had become second nature to them. See, look again at Ephesians 5.10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. See, he's describing a Christian who has so dedicated himself or herself to God's word that they instinctively think biblically see there are no shortcuts but it's possible for every christian in this room to have a spirit directive spirit enabled word focused word directed word saturated life and it can start today this week and it happens sunday after sunday over the course of one's life of a long obedience a long dedication the same direction of reading studying discussing hearing praying memorizing, and seeking to obey God's word as we walk as children of light. So Paul says, walk as light. What does that look like? Well, it looks like bearing fruit. What is that fruit? Well, it's it's all that is good, right, and true. Okay, what else does it look like? It looks like discerning God's will, that being spirit-enabled and word-saturated. Then lastly, we see that walking as light looks like exposing darkness. So look at verses 11 and 12 take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. Now, that that phrase, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, is very similar to verse 7 that we looked at last week that says, therefore, do not become partners with them. And as I said last week, it doesn't mean that we're not to have any association or friendship, contact of any kind with those who are not Christians. I mean, we mentioned this last week, and you guys know it's true. For that to happen, we'd have to move somewhere. Somewhere like to the moon or or further away. Besides, if we have no interactions with non-Christians, then we're not going to be able to minister to them. We're not going to be able to share the gospel with them. We're not going to be able to to invite them to come with us to church to hear the gospel proclaimed. So this phrase, "'Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness,' Is a warning against participating with them in their sin. See, Paul is reminding us that, that as we're walking as children of light, we are to, to live differently, distinctly, in a way that's set apart from the world. As children of light who are bearing fruit and trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, but look again at verses 11 to 12. Paul goes beyond, okay, don't participate with them in their sin. And he actually says, but instead, expose them. Now remember, if you're a Christian, then you are light in the Lord. If you think this through, you understand, you cannot be light in the Lord without exposing the darkness, at least at some level. That's the way light works. Light enters a dark room, there's gonna, the, the darkness is going to be exposed for what's really in the room. Okay, but looking at this, don't take Ephesians 5, 11 to 12 as a license to be a jerk. To your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your extended family, right, that's not what Paul has in mind. I'm going to, I'm, okay, yes, see the Bible says, so I'm, I'm supposed to point it all out. Tell them what I see. See, Christians are light, and we are to let our light shine as we live lives marked by the fruit of all that is good and right and true. And being a jerk is not part of that. We are to live lives marked by all that is good, right, and true as we try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Not by willingly being obnoxious. Not by intentionally just being judgmental. Don't be self-righteous, don't be a jerk, don't intentionally be obnoxious. But don't be surprised when your faithfulness to Christ in the way you live your life and maybe even in the few words that you say shed more light and expose more unfruitful works of darkness than you thought possible, than what you intended to. Don't be surprised whenever your life and the few words that you say leads to reactions and responses you never anticipated. That's what happens whenever the light shines. You see, sin's like mold. It grows best in the dark. And when you expose it to light, it begins to dry up. And that's why the light of Christ shining forth in the lives and the words of faithful Christians often makes unbelievers feel quite uncomfortable. Now, it's never our goal to to be jerks in the way that we make people feel uncomfortable, but it will inevitably happen. That your faithfulness to Christ in your family, in your workplace, in your career, in your school... it's, it's going to make a difference it's going to make an impact and it's very possible it may prove to be costly for you and likely even to be more so in the days and years to come that that because of your faithfulness to christ you may end up being ridiculed or shunned or excluded passed over you may even be vilified or even lied against Paul writes in 2 Timothy three twelve. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, it's a privilege to suffer for faithfulness to Christ, and sometimes God uses the light in our lives, in our words, to, to open the spiritual eyes of non-Christians to see their unfruitful works of darkness, and even the shameful things that they do in secret, and sometimes... God uses the light from our lives to enable them to see their sin for what it is and to see Christ for who he is and that they're actually drawn to Christ, the light of the world. But as Pastor Richard Phillips reminds us, the order is essential. We must first live as children of light, then take no part in the works of darkness, and only then will we have the credibility to expose evil in a persuasive manner. Okay, so look look at verse 13 in our text. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Now, this verse and verse 14 are, are tricky to understand, but I think what Paul's saying is that we should never underestimate the way that God can and does work through ordinary Christians living faithful Christ-like lives. Right? When the light of God's truth shines forth from our lives and from our words, then God, God can use his light to pierce through another's uh, darkness into their heart and they can begin to see perhaps even for the very first time what's wrong with the way that they've been living what's wrong with what they've been believing they can begin to see and question okay what's wrong with what they've always assumed to be true what they've always assumed to be true about the bible i mean so many people have never ever read this but they assume they know what it says It can begin to to expose and challenge what they have always assumed to be true about Christ as they begin to to see your life and, and hear your words. Ephesians 5, verse 14, look at it, how our passage ends. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So you can tell that Paul's quoting someone or something but there's some there's some debate and disagreement about what paul's quoting you see because this verse does not show up word for word anywhere else in the bible and so some have uh, you know thought well maybe what this is is this was a uh, a popular hymn in the first century and so the ephesians would have been familiar with it that's possible however others think and i tend to agree with them that what paul's doing in verse 14 is a paraphrase or an intentional echo of what we see in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3. And Isaiah 60 may be familiar to you if you're familiar with Handel's Messiah. Um, Isaiah 60, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. I'm not going to sing it, I'm just going to read it. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, that that seems to to fit with Paul's letter to the Ephesians, right? A church made up of of primarily Gentiles, those from among the nations who once were far from Christ, but by God's grace have been brought near, and now are saved by God's grace in Christ, the nations drawn to Jesus, the light of the world. And so with that in mind, look back at Ephesians 5 verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, this is an invitation. It's an invitation for those who are not yet in Christ. You see, we should never underestimate the way that God can and does work through ordinary Christians living faithful, Christ-like lives. Never underestimate the way that their lives and their words give credibility to the gospel words about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And as we live and as our lives shine forth this light, that God's light can pierce into their darkness and even to their dead hearts, hearts that are dead in their trespasses and sins, just like our hearts were before God saved us by his grace. And we should never forget the fact that God saved us. It means that God can save them too. And so we must not ever give up on them. Must never stop praying, never stop sharing the gospel, must never stop stop inviting them. I mean, perhaps even you're you're here in this room this morning. And if you're honest, I mean you're not sure why you're here, but you're here. And perhaps you've given up on yourself. Don't do that. And if you're here this morning and and if you're honest, you're tired of living in this darkness that you're tired of giving yourself over to that which is shameful even to speak of, if you're beginning to see your sin for what it is and you, and, and you want to believe it's possible for God to love you and to forgive you and to cleanse you and to accept you and to adopt you into his family, then if that's the case, then know that Christ will not turn you away. Run to him in prayer. Cry out to him. Confess your sin. Confess your need for a Savior. Trust in him. He will forgive you. He'll wash you clean with his shed blood on the cross. And he will clothe you in his robes of righteousness. He will impute or gift his righteousness to you. His resurrection becomes your resurrection. You'll experience new birth, a new heart. You'll become a new creation. So hear and receive the invitation. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And don't hear me say what I'm not saying. This is not an invitation to clean your life up and get your act together in hopes that maybe, just maybe, Christ would one day shine on you and maybe, just maybe, one day God would love you and forgive you. You can't do that and you never will. Instead, you need to come to Christ in faith. You come, palms up, empty-handed. You come like the hymn puts it, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling and so bring your darkness, bring your sin, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring the mess you've made of your life and cry out to God for the forgiveness, for the cleansing, for the righteousness, for the new life that Christ has purchased for all who will come to him in faith. You see, this passage, it ends with an invitation to come to Christ. And so will you come? I mean, today's the day of salvation. But this passage is also a call for those of us who are in Christ to walk as children of light. And we come to this table before us because we know that Christ has given his body and shed his blood to purchase our salvation, to forgive us of our sin and to gift his righteousness to us. And we come to this table because we know we need ongoing spiritual nourishment and encouragement and strength as we seek to faithfully walk as children of light all of our days until Christ will bring all of his people all of the way home. And praise God that he will amen amen let's pray father we thank you for your word we thank you for this reminder that we are light in the lord and this call to walk as children of light may we your children bear the fruit of light that is found in all that is good and right and true And may we be able to discern what is pleasing to you. Lord, please help us now to prepare our hearts to come to this table. Amen. Will you please stand and lift your eyes to receive the Lord's benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, God's people, today and forevermore. Amen.